Introducing the new way to play Daily Fantasy with Jack Market. That is Jack MKT. Jack Market is where Daily Fantasy Sports becomes a stock exchange. Buy and sell shares of players with other users in real time. Make money every hour, every minute, every second of every game. Daily contests are live for the NBA, PGA, and the NFL. Take control of your fantasy sports experience and download Jack Market now in the App Store. Android, coming soon. We look at the running back injuries in Monday night's doubleheader that could shake things up on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Hello everyone, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you are listening to this, good fill in the blank. This is another episode of Fantasy Football in 15 here at The Athletic. I am Michael Beller. I am joined by Derek Van Riper, DVR. We are ready to turn the calendar over to week two, right? Wednesday sort of that day in the NFL calendar. It's a Wednesday through Tuesday sort of week. So here we are on Wednesday morning, taking week one, putting it behind us, and moving ahead to week two. How are you doing? Doing well. Looking forward to the waiver run this week. Got a few uh, adjustments I'm trying to make on my rosters. Hoping I get the bids just right. Yeah, some of our leagues uh, don't run waivers until Wednesday. Obviously, some of the waivers have already run here on Tuesday night, and it's a busy week on the waivers. Uh, Malcolm Brown, Joshua Kelly, Naheem Hines, and one guy who joined the mix after Monday night's games, and that's what we're going to talk about to kick things off here. That guy is Benny Snell. James Conner suffered an ankle sprain in the Steelers' 26-16 win over the Giants on Monday night football. The team did get good news about Conner, however, on Tuesday. It is not a high ankle sprain as of Tuesday Mike Tomlin still holding out hope that he could have James Conner available for the uh, Steelers week two game against the Broncos I would bet against that happening it seems like they would maybe take things easy after an ankle sprain especially with the guy like Conner who does have a bit of a leg injury history so we'll have to just sit back and watch and then especially on top of that when Benny Snell looked as good as he did. Let's take this from the vantage point, Derek, of someone who is still in a league where you're not going to have waivers processed until uh, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. Where does Snell sit in the waiver ranking for you? Like I said, we've got him, we've got Naheem Hines, we've got Malcolm Brown and Joshua Kelly. Those are probably your top four guys. I'm going to assume James Robinson is owned in enough leagues where he's not really in this discussion. Looking at those four guys and knowing that Connor probably not going to be out for too long, maybe misses a game or two, where does Snell sit with the rest of them? I think you could probably argue Snell over Naheem Hines, even though I think we both expect Hines to be pretty busy, even with Jonathan Taylor uh, taking over the lead back duties for the Colts. So Snell's absolutely worth bidding on. It's more of a short-term sort of play. I think with an injury like this for Connor, you have to think about giving him a week off, even if he could play. Is it the best way to get him through this season as healthy as possible? He's such a big part of that offense. And you know, with Snell playing as well as he did against the Giants, that to me reduces the sense of urgency. It's a reasonably tough matchup in Week 2 against Denver, but not one that you'd you'd fear. So I think you know Benny Snell, if he has that backfield uh, to himself, or at least has the largest share of that backfield for Week 2, probably pushes close to that RB20, RB25 range if we get James Conner ruled out. 
Yeah, I think he's going to be in that range if that ends up being the case. 19 carries for 113 yards against the Giants. And, you know, there was talk this summer of him showing up to training camp slimmed down and faster. And, you know, you can always take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Coach speak, player speak. You expect them to be positive, but that looked true in the game against the Giants. He did look slim down. He did look like he was a step or two faster than he was a season ago. And I wonder if even when Connor comes back with Snell being as effective as he was in week one and Connor having the injury history that he does have, if we finally see Mike Tomlin go away from the workhorse back. He has always leaned on a workhorse back. You go all the way back to the Willie Parker days in Pittsburgh. And Mike Tomlin, under his regime, this has been a team that has focused on one back. Willie Parker, Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams, when he filled in for Le'Veon Bell, James Conner taking over for Le'Veon Bell. This has always been a team that has had one back, and they let other guys mix in. With Benny Snell looking as good as he did in week one, I could see him factoring in in a bigger way than any RB2 in Pittsburgh that we have seen under Mike Tomlin. I was with you on Benny Snell being my number one guy before we got word of the extent of Connor's injury. Now that it sounds like it's something that won't cause him to miss too much time, I would rather have Naheem Hines. He would be my number one guy, but still think that there is definitely a place for Benny Snell, both in the short term and potentially in the long term. On the other side of that game, we had Philip Lindsay suffering turf toe as he left the game in the second quarter, did not return in the second half, looked pretty decent uh, before he uh, before he left the game, just missed out on a couple of touchdown opportunities that probably would have swung some fantasy games. I uh, had one catch where he ended up getting tackled at the two, got a carry on the very next play from scrimmage that he wasn't able to punch in. And it was probably on one of those two plays where the turf toe uh, flamed up for him before he left the game with the injury. He outsnapped Melvin Gordon 19 to 15 after the injury. Melvin Gordon clearly in command of that backfield. 22 carries or 22 snaps, excuse me, to just six for Royce Freeman. And Royce Freeman had zero snaps when Lindsey was in the game still. So clearly we see what his role is in Denver this season. Week two. They'll be on the other side of James Conner and the Pittsburgh Steelers, as we just said. So, you know, Philip Lindsay sounds like he's more likely to miss time. Melvin Gordon, obviously an easy play when he is back. So not really, uh, or when he is uh, in the game, period. Not really much to take here from Lindsay from a fantasy perspective, from his injury. But what did we learn pre-injury about this backfield, Derek? It does seem like this is going to be slightly leaning in Lindsey's favor unless Gordon runs away with the job while we expect Lindsey to miss a couple of games. I think we've both said all along, Philip Lindsay is good enough to be a thorn in the side of Melvin Gordon all season. At ADP, Melvin Gordon just didn't make any sense. That could obviously change if Lindsey's forced to miss a bit of time here because of this injury. We know turf toe is one of those things that lingers quite a bit. It's kind of like a sprained ankle of the toe because it's a sprain of the big toe joint, and it just seems so easy to aggravate that, especially as a running back. So it might be in Denver's best interest to give Lindsey a couple of games off as opposed to having him push through it. They can capably give Gordon more work. They can use a little bit of Royce Freeman, bring Lindsey back maybe after a two, three, four-week absence and possibly get more mileage out of him the rest of the way going that route. We'll see what they decide, though. Yeah, Melvin Gordon did his usual Melvin Gordon thing in the second half, did end up scoring a touchdown uh, for the Broncos in his team debut. I would feel pretty good about him in pretty much any matchup so long as Philip Lindsay is out, and we'll have to uh, keep an eye on this situation as it unfolds this week. We're going to get to some wide receiver discussion here in a second, but first a word from our sponsors. This is the Athletics Shield Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV, 
Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. All right, Derek, let's flip things over to the wide receiver part of this discussion. We are still going to stick with the games that were played on Monday night. Obviously, we've already had plenty to talk about from Sunday's game. So let's talk about some of the guys who played on Monday. My first question, Derek, is Corey Davis this year's Devontae Parker. Remember, Devontae Parker was a first-round pick who was totally written off in the football world, in the fantasy football world, and then last year, after five years in the league, broke through. Well, here we are in Corey Davis's fourth year, the fifth overall pick out of Western Michigan uh, in his draft class, and it has just never clicked for him. And then we saw him come to life in week one on Monday night. Seven catches on eight targets for 101 yards. There were a lot of targets to go around on this team. You had A.J. Brown get eight targets. Adam Humphreys got seven. Johnny Smith got seven. The mere fact that Corey Davis got eight targets was a bit of a surprise to me, Derek. I thought we were going to see A.J. Brown, Johnny Smith, and Adam Humphreys doing his thing as the main guys here. But Corey Davis gets eight targets and made a whole lot out of them. Can he be that guy who just wakes up from a three-year slumber the way that Devontae Parker did last year and be someone who at least comes close to living up to what his draft stock was a couple of years ago? It's definitely possible. The upcoming schedule is pretty interesting. They have the Jags in Week 2, the Vikings in Week 3, and the Steelers in Week 4. And I think that Minnesota defense looked really vulnerable in Week Mm 1. The Steelers could be a shootout matchup some weeks. And if the Titans can get consistency from Ryan Tannehill the way they did throughout the second half of last season, maybe this offense can support more pass catchers than we expected. I think the comparison to Parker is on point. I mean, we're talking about a guy who had his fifth-year option declined. The thing that made this most surprising to me was that Corey Davis had a hamstring injury coming into this game. So uh, there was at least a little bit of doubt about just how healthy he was once he was active heavily involved. He's always been really talented. And you do have to look at this team and say, you know, prior to the switch to Tannehill, poor quarterback play was a big problem in Tennessee for Corey Davis's first two and a half years there. If you believe in the talent from day one, he's still that guy. And if you believe the quarterback play is better, there is at least a plausible argument for him to reach maybe top 35, top 40 wide receiver levels on a pretty consistent basis. Devontae Parker became what a top 12 top 15 receiver last year I mean there was a point where you just got to the you got to your lineups every week and you said he's in and it took a couple of games to trust him so I think it takes a little bit longer for Davis to reach that sort of of trust level this season but it's definitely possible because the Titans do look like a team overall that's been on the rise since the middle of last season 
you know, we know this isn't going to be the case for Ryan Tannehill in the passing game every single week, but he had 43 pass attempts in week one and 47 dropbacks in this game against the Broncos. And it's not as though it came at the expense of uh, Derrick Henry by any stretch of the imagination. Derrick Henry had 31 carries in this game. So it's not like they took expected volume away from Henry and gave it to the passing game. I don't think we're going to see this team run, what did I say, 47 dropbacks. So I don't think they're going to see this team run 78 plays every single game. That was a big number for the Titans. But just the mere fact that he had 47 dropbacks on 78 plays run, that has to have you feeling better, certainly about A.J. Brown. And it gives you a good feeling or at least a stronger feeling that Corey Davis could finally be clicking here in 2020. We also had a big game out of Darius Slayton in the first game on Monday night. Six catches on nine targets, 102 yards, and two touchdowns. Golden Tate, of course, was inactive in this game. And I think that there's reason to believe after what we saw here that you know maybe Darius Slayton is the guy. And I was really selling him in draft season. And I don't want to overreact. At least I don't want to overreact to this situation from week one. But I will say, if Daniel Jones does take the step forward that a lot of people think he can take this year, then it seems clear that that Darius Slayton would be the big winner, right? Because as much as we like Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate and what they bring to a football team, the skill set that they both have really does limit your overall ceiling, right? Darius Slayton is that big play guy, that downfield guy. And if you have a quarterback who is maturing and improving, it is that downfield guy, that big play guy who would seem to be the biggest beneficiary. I admit that after week one, even though I'm not buying all in on Darius Slayton, maybe that was a a blind spot for me. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think Golden Tate is a better player than people often give him credit for. So I think getting him back could shake things up quite a bit. But Slayton does have a very different function. Maybe Tate versus Shepard is more of the ongoing Mm -hmm. battle to be the number two pass catcher in this offense. I'm not panicking if I have Sterling Shepard. I'm wondering what you make of Saquon Barkley turning 15 carries into six yards in this game. He did catch six passes for 60 yards in full PPR. All was not completely lost, but in non-PPR leagues especially, what a disappointing opener for Barkley. Such a disappointing opener, but it's got to be an anomaly, right? I mean, not even just the 15 carries for six yards, which is obviously an anomaly. You don't need us to tell you that, but just the completely underwhelming performance on the ground. That has to be an anomaly. Uh, And still, 15 carries, six uh, catches for Uh, Saquon Barkley, as disappointing as the overall numbers were, if you just told me right off the bat, week one, Saquon Barkley's getting 21 touches, I would say, all right, things are just going to be absolutely fine for Saquon Barkley. And I still feel that way, even after the ugly, ugly numbers that he put up against the Steelers in that 26 to 16 loss. Let's wrap things up by looking at the Steelers, Derek, because this was a wide receiver core that pretty much delivered across the board, at least in terms of share of the passing game and what we can expect for them Going forward, you had Juju Smith-Schuster catch all six of his targets for 69 yards and two touchdowns. Deontay Johnson led the team with 10 targets, caught six of them for 57 yards. James Washington, just three targets, but turned that into two grabs, 34 yards, and a touchdown. And this all happened on just 32 attempts for Ben Roethlisberger, a game where they put up 26 points, a game where they had 26 carries by their running backs, a game where they were able to keep their opponent pretty much at arm's length. In other words, this basically felt like a fine, but not a smashing performance by the Pittsburgh offense. And you still had a two-touchdown game out of Juju Smith-Schuster, 10-target game for Deontay Johnson, and a touchdown for James Washington. Basically, all three of these guys, wherever you took them, you have to feel pretty good about their roles on your team. Yeah, I think Johnson might be a better volume play than Washington 
all oh, season sure. long. Yeah. But Washington brings so much of that big playability that once we get to bye weeks and once injuries start to deplete our rosters, once we get to the point where uh, we have to turn to our wide receiver fives and sixes for the occasional start. There's going to be some matchups where I think he stands out as either a good streamer off the wire or somebody that you actually feel okay about, uh, even though it was a pretty limited role. On a night where the Steelers didn't throw it that much, as you mentioned, they didn't throw it to their running backs all that much in this game either, so I kind of expect that to change. Quiet night for Eric Ebron, too. So obviously Juju, the clear top dog, Deontay Johnson, great for full PPR leagues, but Washington seems like he is more of that home run threat who could be a little bit feast or famine, a little bit TD or big play dependent throughout the season. Considering the draft capital that was required to get any of those guys on your team, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, or James Washington, they have to feel pretty good about what they did for you in week one. They all basically lined right up with their ADP, if not exceeded what it would be uh, if it was just that game times 16. So feeling good about this Steelers passing game after one week of the 2020 season. And that will do it for us on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Go ahead, get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month. If you do not have one already, get over to theathletic.com slash football in 15 to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I am Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15 will be back with you tomorrow. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great day.